1: Fantastic Pixel Castle and Frog Pants Studios presents Word on the Street with Greg Street and Scott Johnson. Well, well, well. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Episode 3 of Word on the Street with myself, Scott Johnson, and Greg Street. We're here every time. We bring guests, and we'll get to that in a second, but Greg, it is great to see you, sir. How are you?
2: It's good. I'm, I'm glad to be back. I always look forward to this so much.
1: I do too. We do it every month uh, for those wondering what the cadence is. And it's all up on the podcast page, which you can find at frogpants.com slash street. We kept it nice and easy and, and, and stuff. And you can also search for it wherever you get your podcast and you will be able to get it for free every time. Uh, I hope you had a great holiday, Greg. I know uh, a lot of folks during the holiday were, were pinging me saying uh, all sorts of things about how they're excited about the status of ghost, where we're at with things. One of the most prominent questions I seem to get during that time was, I want to know what the lore is like. How do I fit into the story? What is that story? How how much of it do they have written? These sorts of questions. So we've got a bunch of those to ask today. And we're going to do it with a wonderful guest who is joining us today. We have the VP of IP. There, I got to say. That's fun to say. Over at Fantastic Pixel Castle, uh, everyone, welcome to the show. Shanti, please. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Scott. Good have me. Good to, good to have you sir. where're we've been like I said, getting all kinds of this and that about what's the story plan uh, with this game and 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 how much of it is uh, you know uh, written really is the main is the main question. So I'm gonna be a it's gonna be a little bit different today in that I'm gonna ask some of the questions they've been asking as we go because I think some of this stuff will fit in. But before we get to any awesome. of that, shanti, tell me your your role at the company. Uh, your experience, what you bring to it, why you're excited, all that kind of stuff. Just give us a little rundown.
0: Sure, sure. So uh, most recently, I'm coming off about uh, 12 years at Riot Games. Uh, Got to do a whole bunch of stuff there, everything from helping start up Riot Esports to making champions for the League of Legends. For many years, I ran the world-building team at Riot, so kind of creating the foundations of the League IP and kind of expanding it and growing it. Where I met Greg Street many, many years ago, about 10 years ago at this point, over a delicious lunch. I don't remember what it was. I just remember it was delicious and got to nerd out about World of Warcraft, which I love so high much. Thai food. food. Was yeah. it Thai food? Okay, <laughs> oh yeah. I'll buy that. I'll buy that. <laughs> sure. Um <laughs> but then uh Greg and I got to work on the Riot Games MMO for a few years as well. We started that team over there and then most recently joined up to, you know. Keep the MMO dream alive in a different shape. And it's been an awesome ride ever since.
1: That's great. Now, you mentioned League of Legends and the world building stuff. There was a very specific time from the gamer perspective, from my perspective, when I would watch how things were evolving at Riot. Up to a certain point, it felt like, well, Riot was the League company and League of Legends were these characters that... Were kind of reminiscent of the Dota stuff, and you know they changed a bunch, and some of the newer stuff was a little more unique. But at the end of the day, you had your axe wielder guy, and you had your lady with the gun, <laughs> and you had these, you know, you had these archetypes that kind of fit and made sense. But nobody was really bothering themselves too much with what are their backstories, where have they been, where are they going? It sounds yeah. like you were you were there for that that crucial pivot moment where. Suddenly we're getting trailers with tons of story characterizations we hadn't seen before and a full blown Netflix series. Um, All of that (laughs) seemed to add up really quickly and very fast to make it a much more thought out uh, world. I I guess that was obviously uh, the goal and without revealing too much about any secrets or anything, do you feel like they accomplished that and and, and what you learned there is going to carry over well as you move over to here and do this?
0: Sure, sure. I, it's funny that you say it. it felt so quick. It felt agonizingly slow on our end. It felt like we had so much great stuff to release, and it took so long. Um, yeah, I think there's there's two elements to, to what you're what you're talking about here. One is creating this almost like foundation for a world where developers, writers, even players can have this kind of rich foundation to build upon and have natural stories and ideas and creativity kind of sprout out from it that was a lot of the work that we did and unfortunately a lot of that never gets released to players like you don't see the beautiful art and awesome narrative write-ups that, that the talent over there makes but what you do see and you experience is kind of the outcomes of all of that work right arcane um short animations even something like the the riot music group releasing things like kda right all of that is built off of this solid starting point that you know many many talented creatives worked for years to build even though it's all behind the scenes so in a lot of ways we're taking inspiration at fpc for that because we want to build a game that we hope lasts a decade plus (laughs) if everything goes according to plan and to have a world that can sustain that and kind of you know, give players a place they want to be in for thousands, 10,000 hours. Uh, we're really investing early to have something that will stand, test, stand the test of time.
1: Great. I want to I get back to that whole IP from the ground up discussion. But yeah. first, Greg, let me throw you a quick question. When you approached all of these wonderful people about starting this company and then those sort of early phases – did you come to the table with, with an idea of where you wanted this story to go or even start and then you know bring in people to help flesh that out? Or I I'm very curious about how that started at the very primordial level of Greg Street starting a company for an MMO.
0: I
2: mean, very little. I I figured early on it should probably be fantasy because I know how to do combat with swords and bows and arrows, and I don't know how to do, you know, looter shooters like Destiny. So I'm like, okay, it's probably fantasy. You probably want to have like Swords and magic and monsters because fighting monsters is fun. But that was about it. There wasn't much there in terms of. Um, I mean, I was certainly had spent a lot of time on the League of Legends IP at Riot with Shanti, and that was a great inspiration. The you know the the depth, the complexity, the characters you love to spend time with. I love World of Warcraft to this day. So those were big inspirations. But really, it was a, it was a pretty blank slate.
1: That's interesting. Uh, so with that blank slate. Shanti, this comes, to, you know, you come on board, you've been through this experience with Greg, you guys kind of know what this is going to take. Where does one start when you are creating an IP from yeah. scratch and building ghost literally out of nothing?
0: Yeah, we, we built a big wheel and we spun it and whatever it landed <laughs> on was our future IP. Uh, you know, let fate decide. Um, <laughs> it, I'm gonna lie, it's a daunting prospect, right? Like building something from the ground up, especially when you want it to be Uh, you know, original and novel and new and unique and exciting and something that will last for a decade plus. Um, Luckily for us, Greg had a pretty clear vision of what type of game he wanted to make. And that was actually the start of where we uh, originated the creative. So Greg had very early on uh, a diagram (laughs) of the core loop of the game, which was, uh, I think it was made in MS Paint, it, uh, you know I would not say it was production-worthy, uh, it wasn't ready to ship, but it laid out a very clear picture of how players would progress through our world. And I honestly thought we'd probably need half a year of throwing ideas at a wall to figure out a, a framing, a creative framing that would make sense for that core loop. And I think we got maybe a little lucky because one of the first things that we kind of threw out, we loved. And we started sharing it with the rest of the team, and started getting feedback, and it was very positively received. And we're like, "This works so well for our type of game," um, and that's where we landed with with our beginnings. And we've been building on it ever since. And so far, so good. We got something really special, I
1: think. That's great. So um, here's a question for you. There's a lot of talk around this game uh, early on. You know, when the announcement was made, when you guys did your Q and A uh, up in Canada, and all of that. There was a lot of talk about how these group sizes were going to work, five-man content, different kinds of things like that. And you guys talked about, is it shards, Greg? Am I got the name right? Um,
2: well, that's what we're calling it for now. We'll see if that, okay. that term survives. but
1: That may, not, you know, may or may not stick. But I'm curious what that made me think of anyway, and the reason I'm getting to this question uh, before we get into the nitty-gritty, is that that sharding process, for lack of a better term, sounds like a very specific sort of mechanical consideration. It's something you're going to have to think about for the design philosophy of most of the game. And then I started thinking of things like, well, what is grouping? What does actual combat look like? Which we'll have future episodes about uh, down the road and this sort of thing. I always come back, though, to all of those things are going to have to make the story work, or I guess the story is going to have to work within that framework. Make it work, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So how how do you approach that? Is it is it a... Sp- Is it even a thing to worry about? Can you just write story regardless? Or are you ever concerned like, well, if I do this with this character or this, this, uh, uh, faction or whatever your big choices mean, they're going to have trickle down effects on technical stuff, on art stuff, on all kinds of things. How do you, how do you balance that as someone who does this?
0: Yeah. I I think you're probably describing the greatest contributor to my lack of sleep in my life right now and probably (laughs) will be for the next few years. Uh, it's an incredible challenge even outside of a multiplayer game, right? You talk to people who have worked on things like Mass Effect or Dragon Age, you know, like the, kind of some of the seminal RPGs. Um, and crafting a great story is already hard. Crafting a great story that can be expressed through gameplay in a way that it all feels cohesive and organic and fun is even harder. Mm. Um, we have the, the benefit of being a new IP which maybe sounds almost counterintuitive because it's like, you have so much to build. Yes, but you don't have the restrictions of working within an established IP. So if we need to dramatically change a part of our IP to accommodate for some new gameplay feature that we think is so fun and exciting, we can. If we're working in the Star Wars IP, for example, which, you know, Star Wars is famous for having Bibles of guides to fill a library, right? They have a guide for the angles of door frames. Like, oh, you can't have it be this too angled this way because there's so much to to you know, kind of already have in that IP you have to accommodate for, and we don't have that restriction, which is uh, freeing, if not like I said, a
1: little scary. Yeah. I, I imagine that actually is scary, but, it, but because you're starting it, this is somebody else's worry down the road it may still be yours down the road. But at <laughs> yeah. some point, at some point you and a team of people are going to be, you know, going, Oh crap. We did that one storyline that will make this whole stretch that we're, we're talking about now. It's going to make it null and void. Cause we already killed off this character. We already changed this magic or, or whatever it is. Um, I don't know why I'm so interested in this workflow. Maybe it's because I really like automation, video games, and I like to have the most efficient, <laughs> the most efficient logistics possible to the end game. Yeah. Um, but how do you, how do you keep track of it all? Because at some point you are going to not spiral, but you're going to end up with a game that's big with expansions yeah. and new content being added, and you're going to have story stuff wrapped around all of that. Do you have your own personal way of doing that that you think will become the company standard? And and if so, what is what does that look like?
0: Yeah. Right now, it's that meme of the, you know, sunny, always sunny in Philadelphia with the red string <laughs> on the board and the crazy-looking face. It's, it's that right now. Um, uh, there, there's two things here that, that make it... Uh, two things you have to accommodate for when you're doing that sort of multi-year, multi-storyline planning within a game. One is you need to plant way more seeds than you'll ever actually harvest in terms of story. Hmm. So, you know, if for a seasonal expansion pack, we're going to have... 20 hours of story we need to plant potential for a hundred hours of story because mm. what will naturally happen is players will fall in love with a character or they want to know more and they want to spend more time in a particular part of the world and if you have that foundational layer of potential stories you can then harvest that and it looks like you planned ahead it feels like you planned ahead it feels cohesive with the world mm. um Warhammer 40k is a great example of a a company that does this with their IP, right? There's so many story leads that they leave sometimes for a decade only to come in and pluck and it feels so good as a, as a fan.
1: Oh, I agree. Um, Uh, You mentioned, I mean, that's 40k is my kryptonite. I don't even play the tabletop game, but there is so (laughs) much minutia, so much depth to where you can go. And it's, it feels like it's fine. If you say we're doing a game about orcs with a K, here we go. Uh, they're yep. crazy, aren't they? Crazy, and then you can turn around and say we're doing a very serious Space Marine. It's the, you know, the Imperium is going to love Imperium lover, lovers are going to like this, uh, and then you can go do you know something about the Omni Messiah and all the you know yep. floating yep. skullheads and everything, and you can do that pretty, pretty freely, and then expand upon that. I guess that 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 is kind of more my overall question. Will this? Do you hope anyway? This will be that kind of story where. The depth is where we want to find it whenever we need to. Yeah. That sounds daunting, though, because that's yeah. stacks and stacks and stacks of information.
0: Uh, I would love if one day we have the depth and richness of the Warhammer 40k for our IP. Mm-hmm. That being said, it took them decades to get there. And if that's our goal for year one, we're never gonna ship anything because that's <laughs> you know, <laughs> we can't magically sap our figures and make up for decades of of, of development time. Right. Uh, so we are starting with the nucleus of our universe, right? We're starting with the the last city that seems to be surviving and the mystery that kind of encapsulates it. You'll see a lot of our story, especially at the start. Um Involves mystery so that players can kind of learn about the universe as the characters within it are learning about the universe. Mm. Um, I I think Elden Ring does uh, does this very well, and we were very inspired by aspects of that series. In that you'll get little snippets of wor- of, of world lore in an item description or the way a boss looks, and naturally you kind of feel that there is so much depth behind those two sentences on that sword. Um, that feeling doesn't mean you have to go read a novel to understand it. It means that it's there. And if you want to know more, you can that balance. I think is exactly what we're aiming for in our universe and works really well. with kind of an MMO or piece of genre.
1: I'm going to get heat Thank for you. this, but I, I, uh, Oh, Greg, go ahead. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I was gonna say you, you,
2: contrast that to something like Warhammer or Lord of the Rings or Star Trek or any of these really expansive worlds is onboarding for someone new is really intimidating. like, mm-hmm. Shanti and I are both playing the the, the Warhammer Rogue Trader game right now. I'm, I'm loving it. But he knows the IP a lot better than I do. Mm. I, I'm still a fan, but he knows it a lot better. And then onboarding that is crazy. You're learning all of these different things, like what does this word mean? What does this faction mean? So one of the things I really love about this approach of Ghost is it, we're not quite going to use the amnesia trope, but it has that feeling of you as the player come in with almost as much information as the character. And then you learn at the same time, mm. rather than imagining you're a citizen of Stormwind. You should know all of this stuff because you grew up in Stormwind.
1: Right, yeah, right. Oh, it. that's interesting. Cause that kind of leads to where I was going and I'm going to take heat for this, but I, cause I bring it up a lot, but one of my favorite films, if not my favorite film of all time is Mad Max Fury Road. And the reason I love it, there's lots of reasons to love it, but my main reason for loving that movie is It's ability to world build without telling me much is key to exactly. why I love it. And I'll, all I have to do is be told there's a place called Town, and I can sort of see it on the horizon, and I immediately know how important this is going to be. I, I fill in all these blanks, uh, the, the weird guys on stocks and what used to be the green place out in the middle of nowhere. I don't even need to know what's going on. I just know yeah. that there's a world, and there is depth, and there's you feel stuff it, going on, right? Exactly. You know, they there's no
2: yeah. to explain it all. They don't, you know. Max doesn't turn to Furiosa and be like, "Tell me about the people out there on the stilts," because yeah. that would that would ruin it. It would
1: be a huge mistake to do that. Yeah. And um, it's maybe some people like that, but I definitely don't. This brings me to my my biggest question, I think, maybe of today, which is for an MMO and to build this world. It seems like it, maybe it isn't as black and white, and we can talk about this. But it seems pretty black and white. You're either an MMO that makes you the center of the story or you're an MMO that makes lots of other characters, uh, parts of the world, kingdoms, whatever. They're the center of the story and you're a passive observer. Like an example of that might be, right. I don't know, Final Fantasy XIV is a bit like this. You, you're you're there, you're in the thick of it, but you're not – it's not all counting on you, but you're there and you're witnessing yes. and you're part of it. In World of Warcraft, it is – they 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 make that seem like you are the one – in champion, yeah, yeah, You're
2: the champion, the yeah. chosen
1: one. Can, constantly being called the chosen one. Exactly. And it's p- big characters telling you that. So you're always in the spotlight as the, as the main character. And some people really like that. And some people really dislike it and vice versa for the, uh, for the other way is, has that been decided on how, how chief among these, uh, uh or how chief among the story will your character be? In fact, I have an exact question that came through our text line, eight zero one I'll read it in that person's voice. Uh, so, And we don't have a name. Sorry, they were anonymous. What are your thoughts on the player being the chosen hero versus being a spectator ally to the heroes or champions of the story? So, Shanti, what do you say about that?
0: I wasn't aware this would be such a hard interview, Scott. <laughs> Is this too late to read a deck out? Um, <laughs> it's a great question, especially in an MMO it's easier to be the chosen one and deliver uh, a great story with resonant characters in a single-player game because you can have more setup and you're not in a city looking around at all the other chosen ones running around. It kind of dilutes that fantasy a little bit if if you know you're not really the chosen one. Um, We're aiming for something kind of smack dab in the middle of the two examples you gave Scott. So I guess it's the gray of the black and white then. Um, (laughs) we want the character to be heroic we want the player character to be an active participant in the shaping of the world and that could mean something as dramatic as you know, players get to decide whether the druids join the city or are banished to the edge and maybe if they join the city there's a playable class you unlock we're we're exploring some of that crazy stuff that could really let players plural affect the world Mm. on a more personal level we want the player character to feel like they matter to the fate of the universe and the fate of the world, but they it's not all on their shoulders, mm. right? Because mm. it's kind of a, a, a false promise in an MMO if you if you place all of that on uh on, on a player choice. Uh, that being said, players fall in love with characters, not with a world. Players fall in love with NPCs, the players fall in love with bosses, right? And so we want to create uh a bench of NPCs, of characters that the player interacts with, that they can spend time with, go on adventures with, do quests for, do quests with, fight against, fight with, and over time fall in love with. Because if the player is that catalyst for an NPC's growth and their journey, you feel like a participant while also having a, a little bit more of a genuine inclusion in the overall journey of an arc, right? Sure. Um,
1: yeah, I like that. Greg I could go on. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I could too. I, in fact, it, it makes me want to throw it to Greg and say, I mean, as the Lord <laughs> overall, you survey, because I'm not going to call you by your actual title there at the company. Um, does this jive with what, what you're also aiming for? I mean, as someone who worked on world of Warcraft and other MMO properties, you've probably seen all sides of how do we want to tell the stories Are are, am I the hero or am I not the hero? That sort of stuff.
2: Yeah. I think you have to be heroic. You're going to be asked to do these amazing things. You want to feel like it's that you're not just a cog at a giant machine, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so you need to be a person of agency who's called upon to solve problems but one of the things I like about the IP we're developing I mean I like everything about it but this um this fiction that you're a a resident of this city and you need to save the city somehow and I we could talk about that in a minute um it has a little bit of a sci-fi feel that you're like a member on this this giant spaceship and you all have to kind of step in to help and and make sure that the city survives that gives a role to everyone but so you're not the chosen one, but you're a hero among many. And, and that kind of is a good reason for why there's a lot of heroes, but, but not an infinite number.
1: Interesting. So Shanti, back to your point about um, the people, people fall in love with NPCs and hero characters and, and, and not the world. That was an interesting thing that you said, and it made my brain ask the question, why do I love certain zones or why do I love worlds of, of, uh, sure. of MMOs? And why did I think I love the world? More than I like the people in it. And the answer is I don't think that I think I'm wrong. You know, I, I for example, the the old thousand needles in right. World of Warcraft was my favorite zone. And a lot of people are like, what are you talking about? It's a desolate, awful place. <laughs> and it was a culture? Few- like <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, there were a couple of things that were involved. One was I live in in Utah, which is full of beautiful desert canyon mm. business. And so yeah, it yeah. reminds me of growing up of traveling to these places, hiking and all of that. But it also was littered with really interesting story points, quest points, characterization. Um, I yeah. even wrote—I even wrote a whole fake backstory about my hunter, where he—he uh, was—he was found and and brought up by by a Tauren shaman uh, in the in the, in Thousand Needles, and it was a huge blow to my character and his life and everything and everything he thought he believed in when the waters came and flooded it. Yeah. So send that know. over,
0: Scott. We'll put it into our game. We'll that our <laughs> You totally to take it. You
1: there. have all, all of that yeah. you want. You got my character if you want it. But <laughs> but the point is like I, I think here on the show I just realized that it's not the place. If the place was empty, who cares? Like nobody yeah. nobody would care. I hadn't really looked at it from that perspective. So I guess I guess what is the perfect situation for you? If I said you know a player sees this world for the first time and way off in the distance they see. I don't know a, a mountainous structure that they can't reach yet. Either they're under leveled, or they can't get there for some other reason, or it's not even in the game yet. It's purely visual, and you want them to have the feeling that I'm going to go there one day, and it's going right. to be awesome because of X, Y, and Z. Do you do you yeah. do you believe the X, the Y, and the Z are these are these characters that you populate that space with?
0: There's a lot of ways to make that calling to adventure exciting right like you can do it just with a gorgeous zone and, and you know new combat mechanics but if you're going to that zone because a character you love is going there with you it's going to be that much more powerful and you're going to want to go that much more um, we ask you know you ask players who like final, fantasy, final fantasy 14 is a great example like what's your favorite part of the game and they'll say non-character stuff, right? Like, uh, playing music in town, or I love how my character's transmodel, or I have an apartment I built that has an LED TV somehow in it. Um, right. But more often than not, a lot of the reasons they fell in love with the game long-term, then fell in love with the world, is because they have had characters and stories that they loved. Right. And so we want to offer that intake to our world. And that can start with something as simple as, a really cool looking NPC, right? That visually is like, oh, very interesting. And then you spend time with them and then you fall in love with them and then you kind of fall in love with the world by proxy after that.
1: Okay. That's so we, here's a, <laughs> I, hadn't, I hadn't thought of this pre, before. Maybe this is a bit of a cheap question. I don't know if it is or not. I'll just ask it. <laughs> um, there is a probably, I assume there's a tendency for story creators in an MMO specifically to... Draw the player in not just with their original ideas, but also their very um, iterated upon ideas. In other words, you could introduce them to a dungeon that is very d or you might, it may remind them of Lord of the Rings or something else that people are already have fond feelings for. And you walk in and go, Oh, yeah, this is a lot like that. I already love this place because it already fits, you know, my likes or whatever. Is there a temptation? And I don't mean, extreme examples of this were like World of Warcraft will have a Mario and Luigi character named Barlio and Luigi or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I get that. That's a fun fan servicey goofy thing to do and and that's not really what I mean, but how tempted are you as someone who's you know, VP of IP to want to rely on those those um those fishing hooks <laughs> to get right. existing yeah. fandoms excited versus well, I want to make something completely new here that nobody's experienced before. I just, I just assume given that there's a financial stake as well, that that's, uh, you gotta, you gotta walk a line.
0: Yeah. It's, it's always going to be a balance. The The way that we think about it is, um, we use classes as an example. Uh, I love playing tanky classes, bruiser classes. I love classes that hurt themselves in order to do more damage. Right. Yeah. Those are core fantasies of a game that i as a player want to be able to participate in right i want to be able to play that class that doesn't mean we have to skin that class fantasy the same way as other games do it Hmm. so we feel a obligation to fulfill the fantasy the core fantasies of what players want in an mmo whether that's classes or dungeons or zones but we also want to have it be ours we want to be able to Pass it through our unique lens of RIP to have something come out the other side where players, you know, they they know, oh, I can go have this elf fantasy in the game and play as an elf, but it's not an ELF with pointy ears who lives in the woods. It's something that is ours and is kind of bespoke to our universe in a way that... Uh, we can expand upon and not feel derivative.
1: Oh, I love the sound of that. Greg, this, this goes well with what you said a couple of weeks or months ago now it's been, um, you said something to the effect that you were during the interview process, you were talking to art directors or potential art directors and somebody brought to you uh, a very dark fantasy take and your initial reaction was, I don't think this is what this game's going to be. And the other person was like, Oh, that's cool. No problem. And that's, you know, that's what they want to work on. Um, This fits well into what you were saying then, I think, about, you know, wanting this world, not just visually, but wanting this world to feel new and unique, but also for fantasy players not to feel completely lost when they come in. Um, Thus far in the prototyping process, do you feel like you're achieving that? We,
2: again, one of the things about a massive multiplayer game is you need a really big audience. And so I think both Shanti and I, our personal taste might go a little weirder and a little darker, and we have to catch ourselves sometimes of like, but we can't just make a game that's weird and dark. There are people out there that love cute and derpy or beautiful and mysterious, and so you have to come up with all of these different tastes that all feel like unified, and Mm. I think sometimes where fantasy IPs fail, is they they kind of ricochet from, we're going to have this really dark, mysterious thing to like a pop culture reference. And there are ways to be lighthearted without going so extreme that you're feeling like, whoa, is this the same world now? It, it doesn't feel cohesive.
1: Right. And to kind of go with that, a question from Taz from our community, uh, who sent this text in says, how do you make your story stand out with so much competition? That's another aspect of this. So you want to be unique, but you also want to be familiar. But you also want to really stand out in a, in a pretty busy competitive space like this. Um, how, how does that land for you, Shanti, in in terms Mm. of, you know, how, how, uh, I don't know how difficult this might be.
0: Yeah. I mean, creating anything creative, birthing into the world is hard, no matter how you cut it, right. Making something that players will love is hard, um, But ultimately, I mean, kind of to what Greg said, too, we're not here to make something for ourselves, right? We're not making our own perfect game that Shanti would want to play, although I think this will probably be that, too. Uh, We're making things for for our audience and our players, right? Right. Uh, We have the benefit of our development philosophy is to share early and often and get player feedback, see what lands, see what doesn't. If we have a story arc early that is just it's just too dark right like players don't want to spend 10,000 hours in a world that's super depressing or not many players do uh, I know you're out there horror game fans but uh, this might not be for you mm. um, we have the we have the benefit of being able to to change our tone to diversify what we're offering right and it goes back to planting a lot of seeds right if our depressing world-ending dark ghost story uh is too dark for what our players like and want. Okay, cool. We planted a lot of seeds that aren't that, that we can then go pull on and, and, you know, do something that's more aligned with the tastes of who we're here to serve.
1: Yeah. I noticed some games will do this by having a, a dark ending to, uh, you know, kind of wherever you're at in the game. Final fantasy did this really with the, with the coming together, together of all these elements and Shadowbringers, And then what did they do? They turned around and announced a vacation expansion coming out. Yeah. <laughs> And that's a, one way of doing it, right? It's one way of saying, "Oh, we've gone down a real dire road. Time for a break, and we can make that fun, and also have a little bit of its own darkness." But it's you know, and we right. don't know yet because nobody's playing it. We know a little bit, but um, I I would that be I, funny
0: if that ends up being an even darker expansion? Like you go to Vacation yeah. Land, and it's just even on more awful. Yeah, it really <laughs> could
1: happen that way. I suppose I don't know, but 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 it does it does seem like a challenge for you guys as building a foundation for an ongoing story to when to say what you want to say and how, or how to say it, but when, when's really important. Um, Because if you're going to lead them down kind of a dark road, that seems sort of, you know, going to culminate in a lot of uh, tragedy. how, How do you balance that? And how do you do it without using tropes? Like it was a huge elder God that can't be explained. No offense to Wow, but they do that sometimes. You know, they have a big, yeah. a big gnarly eyeball that just controls everything, and you're like, okay, and they're well, back again,
0: yeah, they're, yeah. yeah, exactly.
1: I, I'm <laughs> I <killed the> Sarah. <laughs> my preference is things like, as much as I, uh, I thought there were some problems with it mechanically. Um, I really like the story progression of what they did with Battle for Azeroth because I like, uh, it grounded every, it put, brought everything back to the ground. It was like rubber meets road That's, moment of like, yeah. we're fighting. We've always been fighting. Why are we fighting? And then we got to deal with some of that. Um, I'm sure that you guys will have a mix of, not practical, but you know, we're in this world, we're surviving, we're doing what we have to do, and then really mythic stuff that's difficult to define or the player's not even meant to understand the full power right. of, this, of this darkness and, and that sort of thing. I, I, I guess I'm fascinated by whatever that, that takes to do. Um, that yeah, sounds I, hard. You
0: know? <laughs> One of my first questions for Greg when he when he was starting the studio was, you know, what what is his approach to world building? And when we say world building, we mean a lot of that behind the scenes development of art and narrative and story and audio that happens that, you know, players may never see, but you build upon. Um, and Greg's answer to me was like, he wants a lot of it. He wants it to be this rich foundation that we can build upon for a decade to come. And that, for me, is the dream come true when you build a mini IP. So right. when you have that to build upon, it lets you have heroic high stakes, but also some more intimate stories of your boots in the mud and you know exploring and, and that sort of thing. Uh, we are very cautious about raising the stakes too much too early. Because when you have the elder god that's coming to destroy the world – it's hard to then say, okay, now go on vacation in an island somewhere, right? <laughs> so our plan, uh, we are going to – by the end of this year, actually, we've, we've targeted having our five-year story plan made. And what that's going to let us do is have a, maybe a better ramp upwards of stakes and story and, and expansion of our world, expansion of our universe – because we're going to end up exploring new worlds and go wider rather than just make things more dramatic every season, and we think that formula is really we're going to work well for our game.
1: Yeah, I tend to I tend to agree, um, Greg. When Can you're add something to that? yes, please go ahead. Um, one of the
2: thing one of the decisions we made early on that's I think a little bold and maybe risky, but it's going to help us the long term is often MMOs have this this time travel capacity, and I don't mean like caverns of time time travel. Sure. I mean If you're a a brand new player, you're essentially going back and then playing through the game and then catching up to the current day. And that causes a lot of development challenges. It causes a lot of story problems. We just said, screw that. We're always going to update the game to its current state. So what I mean by that is if we kill off a major character and you join the game two years in, that character's dead. Like Mm. You can't go back to, but I want to see that character before they died or... If we blow up a district in the city and it's gone now, new players will also see it that way. So we only have to really manage the 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 story at one point in time.
1: Mm, that's interesting.
2: Which, I Yeah, this can be controversial, but it also saves us a ton of headache.
1: Yeah, it's gonna so, so it's funny because in my head it it seemed like less headache the other way, but I maybe I don't understand it. So so for example, in most MMOs, if you, if you come into it six years in, there's a lot of stuff you're gonna miss. But if you start at zero and you work your way through, chances are you'll get at least pieces of it that it can often feel or making alts can often feel a little disjointed. It's like, well, here I am doing stuff with the Lich King, but I know how that weren't, you know, went or whatever. And it's, it's kind of takes you out of it a little bit. Yeah. And I, and I think that's what you're aiming at, but our, so what you're, but what you're saying is that will save you time, not add time by doing that. Will you have to, will you have to give uh, players who are new some sort of, here's what happened last time on our, on ghost or, or do you, do you not feel the need to, to always keep everybody up to date on every little thing?
0: I think we'll need some sort of, uh, story catch up mechanic. I don't think that's play through all the old zones from the very beginning, but some way to onboard players into the universe and the world. Um, what that looks like, I think, TBD. <laughs> Greg Greg, nodding with the uh, similar, similar but It's also fun, it's too, different.
2: for the, the real veterans who, who've played the game from day one will say to the newer players, oh, I remember when this district still stood before it got destroyed. And mm. then the new player's like, really? I, I It's always been destroyed as long as I've played it. And the veteran's like, oh, no, it, it used to be there. We had quest hubs. There was this one tavern we'd go to. And I think that, that just gives the world texture that... That goes away when you only make these giant swings of now. Deathwing is in Stormwind. I, we pick on because WoW it's something we all know. But sure. Um, now Deathwing's in Stormwind. Next expansion, Deathwing's gone. You know is um, yeah. I, I, that's the time jumpy stuff. That's a little. Odd. It feels brave
1: so, to be honest, because I don't. I don't. I'm trying to think how this works with players. Like I, there's an artificiality to keeping it all in that bugs me. But at yeah. the same time, I'm trying to think. problem is I've been with wild WoW since day one, so I can't even think about how this would feel. But if I walked into, I don't know, the latest expansion and went, what happened before now? Like, is this a scale problem, Shanti, where it's just like you they've been at this for so long, a 20-year-old game is going to have so much stuff just because it piled Absolutely, up yeah, and not keeping track of all that. Now I'm starting to see Greg's point of view that it'd be easier not to have keep, to, you
2: don't keep say like <laughs> yeah. many versions of the city so that people can see it at all these different points in time. We're just going to have one version of the city, which is the present day.
0: Mm. Yeah. And I, so, so, I mean, I, I love, Wow. Uh, so many of their of their constraints and restrictions are from the fact that they've been a successful game for 20 years. Like game development 20 years ago is yeah. very very different than it is now. Yeah. Uh, you know, if we're talking about the, the birth of the Warcraft IP, uh, for for us, we really want our world to feel like it's a living, breathing place. And you know, we want players who play the game for 10 years to be able to see that shopkeeper age and have a child, right? Even though it's an NPC, and feel like it's kind of an organic realistic thing even though it's set in the fantasy setting um what the catching mechanic is for story you have us on in a few years and maybe we'll have an answer for you there <laughs> but the yeah. aspiration of the world moves forward come be a part of it come affect it as a player see the giant magic tree that was grown in season two in the city see the burned down district that exploded and was sh- you know sharted off and in in season five right like be a part of that journey with us in our game is a kind of an exciting prospect that we think players will love.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think I agree. Thon in our chat room uh, made an interesting point, and this is maybe a down the road question more than it is current for where you guys are at, but it says, so does this mean old story quests are going to be deprecated? Um, that's a, a very specific question, but if the world changes and uh, let's say a, a major villain dies, but when he was alive and rampaging, Paging, you had Three or four NPCs in this one town that gave you very specific quest orders that were about this guy and his terrible reign. Now you've yeah. suddenly got quests that mean nothing. So does that add a new wrinkle of pain in the butt for you guys, or 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 <laughs> yeah. you know, like what do you do with those people? Do you go back and give them quests that are just different, uh, or or quests that acknowledge well, now that we're that that guy's in the past, but I still need those fifteen chicken eggs, or you know, whatever it might <laughs> Is be. This
0: so the question are is just so gone. Like, yeah,
2: this is uh, this is why it's a controversial because we know there'll be players that say, "But I really want to, I really want to see the, you know, the the Wrathgate um, quest, or I really want to experience the Lich King when he was still alive." Um, yeah, for us, those quests would probably just go away. Like. That was a chapter two quest. Now everyone's doing chapter three quests. Those, they would be deprecated. Mm. And if you, I don't know, if you logged out halfway in between the quest, we don't even know if we're going to have like quest in your quest log, but if whatever our equivalent of that is would just be gone because that's, that already happened and sorry you missed it, but now come and, and see what's going on today.
0: You're also developing Scott, this, in a... In this a is the point a, in the con- this is part of the content. This is part of the podcast, Scott, where we say we're very early in development and disclaimer, a lot of this gets <laughs> <laughs> please don't be changed. too bad.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It
2: yeah. may be a dumb idea. Well, this it, the- it does save us a lot of the the challenge of having to go back and fix like, Oh, well, we're this this quest giver sends you to get fifteen eggs from this boss that's now dead. What do we do? It's like, well, the quest is just gone. We'll make yeah. a new quest.
1: Yeah, and that's a you know another a great time right now to reiterate what this show's whole purpose is. The purpose of the show is is transparency as things are being transparentized, meaning it could change in a week, a month, a year, and we'll tell you like that's the idea. We're, we're not we're we're not holding back. We're not keeping things secret. You guys are talking about your process. If it changes, it changes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But this is part of that process, which I think is so much fun to watch. Um,
2: I have a a comment on keeping it secret. That's a really interesting part of the IP development because we are super transparent and we are fine talking about any aspect of the game. And down the road, when we have 20 classes, we'll be able to come out and say, guess what? That class is gone. We're replacing it with a new one. Mm Mm-hmm one of the places where we have to be really careful about how much we share is the story because finding out what happens is a major motivation for playing the story and if shanti and i came out on this podcast and gave you a bunch of the big secrets you know we're we're really weakening the the experience that players are are um, going to experience so mm. It's a challenge for us, particularly on storytelling of like, well, wait, can we talk about this? Should we talk about this yet? Should we keep that in our back pocket? Cause mm. It's supposed to be a big reveal. Sure. And that's like the one part of the game where we have to be a little cautious.
1: Yeah, I think that makes sense. And will definitely make sense to listeners and players uh, as, as we get closer to actual story beats. But here's, here's an interesting uh, point I wanted to make about that. The we now live in a time, I mean, let's go back to 2004. What, what was the time that lived in? Well, The web wasn't anything like it is today. Uh, Very early. We didn't even have YouTube yet. YouTube was not, quote unquote, invented yet. Um, We didn't have things like Wowhead. We didn't have all these resources. And now we not only have that, it's a standard part of all game discussion in every possible way. So it seems like even though you guys may have a huge chunk of an expansion that you no longer are showing in the live game, that stuff never dies. It's on YouTube forever forever. And everybody can go find it. And they're like, oh, I never, I didn't get to do that raid. I'm going to go look at it. And they can. Uh, it seems like th- this is the right approach, given the time we're in. Now, some people, including in the chat today, are saying, I really don't like leaving the game to find things out. And that may be more about yeah. classwork or min-maxing your character or something like that. But but to, to catch up on that lore, that seems like a place that that would live even if even if that just means it's a place that's a resource on your website that just says the story so far or whatever yeah and you guys are okay with that right that seems like a decent way to do it given the world we live in now
0: yeah it may even be a a manifestation inside the game right like we had we had an early idea of, of you know maybe there's a tome in your base or you know that you can access from the menu that has a history of what your character did in the world right and we do a little tech magic and we have your character actually in 2D MoGraph, you know, black and white pages, a la, you know, Diablo 3's art. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you all remember those those, those oh, MoGraph yeah. cutscenes back back then. Really? Uh, we're too early to obviously commit to something like that, but we love the idea of having that living history both be manifested in the world with the, you know, blown up district and the giant tree, but also something a little bit more personal that players can go back to and, and have that attachment to
1: uh greg here's one for you that just popped into my head it's based on something someone said in the chat but somebody sort of said i think in kind of a joking way well one one day they'll just spin up some sort of classic servers for their game <laughs> um and uh, whether they think players really want it or not or whatever there's lots of jokes we could make about that but but do you have to think about that ahead of time greg at all or have you thought about this idea that down the road sometime you may have a sizable portion of the player base that are like bring back the game up through the second expansion it was the best it ever was even though maybe objectively it isn't but to them their nostalgia <laughs> their nostalgia sits at a very specific place and they want to be serviced there do you have to think about that this early or are we not worried about it
2: no we one of the one of the wonderful things about having this team which is a very veteran team with a lot of mmo experience is is people think about that at this early um We were constantly frustrated on World of Warcraft because there was one version of the database. And honestly, part of the reason it took them so long to be able to make the classic servers is there was one version of the database. They didn't have a way to to fork it off. So if I went to the database and I changed the stats on a character, like, that was it. That was now live. Mm. Um, So we're not going to set up our our game like that. And any modern game would make the same decision based on having experienced what games did before. And so all throughout, we have... um, Often engineers, sometimes designers will say, Oh, but let's architect this in such a way that we don't lose the information. If we ever want to go back, we have the old content, you know, it's it's saved off somewhere. If we wanna remember what something was like or just wanna bring it back. That's just one of those like hindsight is twenty twenty. Like even if if Blizzard was rebuilding wow from scratch, they would make that decision today, just having experienced it.
1: Yeah. And I I, I mean the job of the engineering side of of this company is just that—to think ahead on those things and to yeah. put those forward and say, "Mr. Street, <laughs> whatever they call you," they say, "Look, we wanna we wanna make sure that this data is okay in ten years. Uh, we have this idea, and that makes sense." I am actually looking forward to episodes too, where we talk to them. I'm more of a story guy, but I am fascinated by how the engineering team—it's a little bit like sales and production, right? The engineering team yeah. has to has to be able to rise to whatever sales is promising, or whatever Shanti's story is promising in, in this case. Um,
2: that's, here, I mean, here's a very yeah. simple example. Until we have the the episode, where we bring the engineers on. I spent all day yesterday dealing with this. In we're using Unreal, and in Unreal, if you check out a character, meaning you're you're going to work on that character, it locks everyone else out from working on that character. Mm we're so early on that we don't have a lot of characters. So if a designer or an engineer checks out that character, everyone else is like, dude, let me know when you check it back in so I can make my changes. Now, long-term, we can fix that. Um, right. But it's just the history of Unreal is, is is to build shooters, not to build the you know giant multiple-character RPGs. So that's just an element that we have to invest in to make sure multiple people can check out an asset at the same time without overriding each other.
1: Do you, Shanti, do you ever feel like you have to contact somebody in engineering and just say is it okay that this character has eight arms and one eye and speaks a weird language? You know, you know what I mean? Like that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we have like monster concepts. And we're like, boy, one day this is going to make an animator cry, but you know, we don't have an animator yet, so we don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Um, we we and I both love creatures with lots of limbs
2: and tentacles and things like yeah. that. And mm. The animators are going to hate this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: uh, our, our development philosophy, and this extends to engineering and design and even you know production, uh, is to be extremely collaborative and extremely multidisciplinary. Mm. Um, you just make better things when you can tap into all of these different crafts and the expertise that that developers have in it. i um, you know, some of the best art feedback I've ever heard was from a writer. Some of the best narrative ideas I've ever heard was from a producer. Right? Like, great ideas can come from anywhere, and more often than not. When you show an engineer and an animator this eight-armed monster that looks so cool that you're, just, you're so excited about it, they'll be excited too. And smart people will find a way to put that in the game and do it justice to that original vision or even make it better along the way. So um, very early on, we're having these Crosses discipline talks and uh, we're building a team that is based on that development philosophy. Oh, I love it.
2: And this is why Shanti is so perfect for this role. And I'm going to embarrass him here, but Uh-oh. it's kind of easy in this business to find people that are like, hey, I'm going to build this whole world out. I have a lot of great ideas. Um, and then they, they kind of go off and do that. And then they hand it over and like, okay, here's the world, go, go build it. Shanti brings the team together and lets people get excited. And, you know, he has no ego. Everyone collaborates. He's fine making like, calls but also um everyone is like excited to work with him rather than i'm gonna i'm gonna hand this down from on high and you better not question it
1: yeah it seems like a good team philosophy from the top down so that everybody's comfortable saying too many arms on that guy shanti back yeah. back up on that dude yeah but then you yeah, can you clip
0: that and send it to Greg for my performance review <laughs> this year, if you don't mind?
1: Oh yeah, this lives forever. The internet is forever; it's never going anywhere. Don't worry, we got all the backup you're going to need for that meeting. But um,
0: like, right now, we
1: have
2: a we have to have a lot of enemies. Right? MMOs need a lot of different enemy types, so we have a bestiary document, and anyone on the team is allowed to go in there and and make you know pitch their creature. There's no guarantee it'll you know it'll make the cut. A lot of my ideas won't make the cut, but it's really fun for people to go in and and be like, "Hey, I always wanted to see a creature like this," yeah. or. I saw an enemy in this one game. I think would be perfect for us.
0: Yeah, plus I love one day if we're able to ask players for that too, oh, right? Just yeah, like, your ideas. Give us your thoughts. Give us your you know, your crazy thing that you would never thought would be in a video game. And you know, this the legal stuff that I'm worried about. A future lawyer can worry about that. But you know, having that inclusivity, is like give us your ideas too, because well, we'd love to to figure it out and see if it fits. in right Yeah,
1: now. for sure. And also, it seems like a good opportunity later to have some amazing art books and 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 I, I don't mean just from a financial standpoint like just from the player fandom they're going to start demanding if this all works out if your story rocks if this game plays well all these things they're going to want things like the, what they call in the chat the shardlands cookbook um uh, they're going to <laughs> they're going to want the yes. bestiary they're going to want sketches of creatures that never made the cut that Greg did like back in 2023 when he was a young man you know like that kind of stuff seems like valuable content for the periphery of the game and for the game itself. So, uh, yeah, that kind of openness must be that must be a really fun way to work. I mean, you guys you guys seem to be having a blast, and I I got nothing but jealousy for that. That's amazing. Um, to close things out here a little bit, I, I do hope that one day we'll get Shanti back as we get a little further into story development. Um, Greg, I don't know if you can speak to it, but we talked last month about the uh, the prototyping process. Where are you in that? Uh, like, just to give people a little bit of a timeline, things going well?
2: Yeah, things are going really well. We have we were very fortunate on engineering hires, and early on on any type of video game, the more engineers, the better. Mm-hmm. And so we're we're blessed with lots of engineers. So we're actually going really fast right now. Now that doesn't mean we're gonna, you know as I write this, I may go back and check email and, and shit blew up. And that's just part of the dev process. But <laughs> I think right now everyone is feeling, is feeling pretty good about it.
1: Yeah. And um, sh- Shanti, same for you. Do you feel, you feel like you're really happy with where things are from your perspective?
0: It's, it's great. I mean, not, both from a development standpoint of, of prototype, I think we're blasting along. Uh, and from a creative standpoint, I think we have such, <laughs> such an awesome foundation that I, I want to share more of. I want to talk to you about it, but It'll be better if we wait. It'll be better if players discover it in the game organically. Uh, but this is this is quickly becoming my favorite IP, uh, and. I think that'll be true of many players too. Crossing wow. fingers.
1: That says yeah. a lot from a guy who uh, <laughs> apparently likes 40k as much as I do. And I, you know, I do. if you're about to have a new favorite IP, maybe we all are. We'll have to see. <laughs> uh, well, it was fantastic having you on. I do look forward to a follow up with Shanti, see how things are going story wise and uh, get some further perspective down the road. Greg, as always, great to talk to you. Uh, listeners at home, getting your feedback is our favorite thing. We would love your questions, your thoughts, your feelings. Thanks to everybody who sent some in today. And if you want to send more, it's an easy way to do it. We set up a phone line, 801-471-0462. Uh, keep in mind, you can do voicemails there if you'd like. We'll play them on the show. Or you can just send us a simple text from your phone. Super easy, free, easy to do. 801-471-0462. And as soon as we know what our next subject will be next week, or next month, rather, we'll let you know. We record uh, on the monthly and uh, we'll give you plenty of notice so you can watch live if you want or get the podcast later, Uh, and I think that's going to do it for us. Don't forget to visit frogpants.com slash street for all things related to the podcast, and of course, fantasticpixelcastle.com for the game and everything happening with Ghost. Uh, Go check that out. That's going to do it for us. Thank you all for listening, we'll see you next month. Get more at frogpants.com.